This episode of Inquisitive is brought to you by Lynda.com and Backblaze. My name is Dave Wiskus, and the album I want to talk about is Hot Fuss by The Killers. So I'm so pleased you've chosen this album. I love this album so much, but had kind of forgotten about it in the the kind of the series. Because, you know, people always tell me what they want to choose, and I had a couple of albums that I wished would come up, um, but I'd completely forgotten about this. This album is one of my very, very favorite albums of all time. Looking through past guests and their albums and listening to the shows, what struck me is how often people picked something that was off the beaten path. There were very few choices that were albums that I'd even heard. Yeah, I've, trust me, I've been in the same situation. I've had to listen to them all. There's been some really interesting choices in here. And, and I think part of it is that um, a, a many people that I've spoken to over the course of this show and like in the preparations, are like they have albums that they love that everybody loves, but they have an album that they love that they want more people to hear or that has like an interesting story that they want to tell. Yeah, I was really torn there. There were albums that I wanted to show off. There were things that I would love to expose people to, but I don't know. That it seems like that's a, that's almost a different conversation. Yeah, and I mean, you know, basically when we were talking about this, uh, you suggested a few albums to me. This was one of them, and I basically pleaded that we could discuss this one just because it, I haven't had many albums come up. Um, in this series that have been absolute favorites of mine. And so I think this is maybe the fourth out of all of them. Um, one of them, including the one that I picked myself, right? So uh, this is a great one. So tell people a little bit about why you decided to go for this. Like what about this album made it, made it even worthwhile for consideration for you? There's a lot going on with this record. Before we even get to the music of it or, or into the song specifically or the band, there's just the album itself means a lot to me. It represents sort of a shift in my listening habits. Everything from 1991 forward was all sort of driven by Nirvana and, and extrapolations from Nirvana. So you could end up at Third Eye Blind. You could end up at Foo Fighters. You could end up at any of these like hard rock alternative bands. The Killers, it was the first, this album was the first time I could really identify music that was coming from a different place that I not only enjoyed listening to, but became the kind of music I wanted to make. For me, as, as a musician, the, the 90s and the, the, the early part of the 2000s were spent trying to do, trying to make the same kind of music that I'd always listened to, and I'd always wanted to make rock music. This album, this sound, this sort of the, the the glamour of it the the sparkle of it the the the, the dance rock effect it it triggered mm-hmm. something in my head it made me realize that music it's okay for music to be fun it's okay for it to be a little bit celebratory or or a little bit uh, you know put a little bit of eyeliner on it that kind of thing and so the the there's there's a tonal not musically tonal but there's a tonal quality to it that that I really attach to it also represents uh, the the first time for me listening to a band that I didn't necessarily agree with politically. And I don't mean politically, like literally politically. I mean like the, just like the, the ideology of the band didn't necessarily click for me. What, what do you mean by that? There's um, well, uh, Brandon flowers is a devout Mormon. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting. Uh, it's, it's a band that maybe it's easier to talk about in the context of music where, you listen to this album versus everything that came after it from the same band. And this is, it's a very singular record. Anything else from the killers, I I can, it would be hard for me to tell you which album that song came off of. Anything off of hot fuss is very clearly hot fuss. Yep. Yes, I completely agree. Nothing that they made afterwards, even to say it didn't come close makes it sound like it was bad stuff. And I don't necessarily think it was bad. It was just all really, really different. Yeah, I think if it were a different band, I I would have liked it. But because it was The Killers and because there was so much potential, I've, I, it's, it's an old cliche that the fans always want the first record over again. 
or the, the, the previous record. They went that over again. They want the hits over again. And maybe there's an element of that, but this is a band that just changed their sound so much from the first record to the second, and they kept that sound. Uh, it was just such a dramatic departure that it's, it's, it's hard for me to, to think of it as anything but two different bands. Do you know, was there any kind of thing that did change them from album to album? I, you know, I've, I've looked into this. I've tried, you, you Google things like Brandon Flower's voice, and it's, it's a, I don't know, I think maybe ego a little bit. I think uh, like trying to affect a different vocal style and he found something he liked and, and could make his own and, and now that's his thing. I, I mean, it's his voice more than anything else I feel changed. And there's like a style change that happened. They went from the super glamorous Las Vegas stuff to what was it the first the first single off the second album? They were wearing like cowboy outfits or something. Yeah, I think they were in in Mexico. It was a it was a bizarre, but it felt like very intentional shift going away from the the sparkle to more of a, a dusty, um, I guess sort of worldly or worldly meets earthy sort of aesthetic. And you can hear it in the music too. A little bit more guitar, a little bit a little bit less polish. Yeah, I I always when I've ever thought about this because you know as I say I love the first album so much and there are there are gems from some of their other stuff here and there but nothing is as complete um, album wise none of their other albums have been as complete as as Hot Fuss was and I do kind of think that they may have suffered from the incredibly f- successful first album syndrome because Hot Fuss was very very successful. And I just feel like it's, I, I feel that potentially for some bands, it's like, we've made something so great, how do you top it? So they try and change a bunch. And it's not uncommon for a band to spend years working on material, and you put all your best songs in the first album, and now you have a year or a year and a half to make the next one. And you don't have as much time to write a bunch of polished, tuned songs. And I guess in that scenario, like, what are you going to do, right? you just got to kind of start over again. Yeah, I, I mean... Reading through the the Wikipedia page and reading through like the history of this band, he was in a, a glam pop, like a synth pop band, and decided he wanted to be in a rock band instead. And you can really hear that on this album. You can hear all of the all of those keyboards, like all of that influence rolling into. Well, now we're going to try to make a rock record. I'm going to try to I'm going to try to approach this a different way. And I, I think maybe that like that point in the shift. Like when you're trying to figure out how to do a new thing, there's there's steps along the way. And maybe where they are now is where he wanted to land. And this was just a step on the way that people really liked, that, that I really liked. And where they ended up, maybe his platonic ideal, but not necessarily what I enjoyed most. But going back to, to this album, going back to Hot Fuss, uh, why do you like it? It's just, it's a perfect, perfect record. It's hard to say favorite because it, you know, favorite with music, it's, it's a music is a visceral experience. So it kind of hits wherever you are in that moment. And there's songs that remind you of things and there are things that remind you of songs, but there's, it's hard to detach emotion from music. I think for most people. Um, so favorite is a tough one because there's, there's a song that you can listen to anytime and it's going to be, it, it'll be a, a welcome event. Uh, there's there's a song on um, Jump Little Children's Between the Dim and the Dark called uh, Rains in Asia that is a song that no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, that song will always make me feel better. But it's not necessarily a perfect song. It's not necessarily that's the best song. So it's hard to speak in terms of favorites. With, with this album, though, and there's a handful of albums, at least from the artists that I like, where I would say there's not one note, not one second of music that I would change. It's such a it's such a polished experience from beginning to end. And what makes this album so interesting to me is that even when you do make changes, because like the uh, the U.S. versus U.K. versions of the album, the track listing was different. Mm-hmm. So when you bring in something like the, uh, the the a track that was on the U.K. version, glamorous indie rock and roll, you put that back. I think the iTunes version now has this, where it's it's included in the album when you buy it, like a, a special edition or something. You add another track, and it's still perfect. That's actually uh, one of my favorite songs. Agreed, agreed. And it's it, it, again, kind of even the title and the the topic of the song, it it just informs and, and reminds of everything about this album that makes it work for me. 
Do you remember where you were when you first came across it? My sister recommended it to me. I had just gotten back in touch with her. My my parents split up when I was three, and my, my dad remarried and, and had more kids. And she was my oldest half-sister. And we had just started talking again after, I don't know, like 10 years since the last time I had seen her. And we were we were doing the, you know, kind of get to know your long lost sibling conversation. Sure. And, we, and so we, we end up talking about music and I had mentioned this band, the stills that I'd been listening to. And I, I might've sent her a couple of tracks or something. She, she wrote back. She's like, I think you'd like this band. You should check them out. And she sends me a, 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 I think maybe a gift card or something for this album. And it just clicked for me. And maybe it was because uh, it was recommended from you know, a sister that I, I was a family member that I was just getting back in touch with, or maybe it was that it, it just tied in so well with all of the the music that I was starting to discover. Because at the time I was listening to bands like The Stills or Franz Ferdinand or um, uh, things like that, things that were a little bit dancier, a little bit poppier. And did it grab you immediately? It, almost too much. Huh. It was it was remarkable because the, the I mean the very the the opening of Jenny was a friend of mine. It's, it's unlike anything else I listen to. I'm used to heavy guitars. I'm used to that kind of production. So this, this unabashed, unafraid, we're going to do some weird guitar on top of very obvious keyboards. Where I'm from, musically, you're not supposed to like keyboards. When I was in uh, garage bands with my friends in the 90s, it, it was all about like keyboards. That's when you sell out. You add keyboards when you want like all of this, this fake music. And it was all about like the, the, the ethos was all about the real, the, the analog, the tangible, like you should, you should strum the strings of a guitar. You should hit the head of a drum. You should be screaming into that microphone. So something that was hooked up to a computer was fake. And you weren't supposed to like that. You weren't supposed to, to make that music. You weren't supposed to listen to that music. Jenny was a friend of mine was always, um, it was a song that I came back to a lot later because you know the the second track on this album Mr. Brightside was a massive massive hit here in the UK so I when I was first starting to listen to the album that was all I wanted to listen to right I just <laughs> always wanted to start at track two um so it was I it kind of like I ended up just skipping it a bunch um and then but then years later came back to appreciate Jenny was a friend of mine because it was always like the beginning of the meal that I never wanted Right. <laughs> I had, um, I think, I think my move at the time I was, I was living in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and I had just started dating this girl and we were swapping albums and, and talking about music stuff. And it, it all sort of, there's a confluence, I guess, in my life of, of events where every morning, I think on the way to work and every day on my way back from work for a month, maybe two months, was just listening to this album over and over again. From beginning to end. And I, I was right there with you. The, the tracks like Jenny was a friend of mine, Mr. Brett's, all of the really upbeat, dancey stuff were the things like my brain would tune into. And I would I would tend to skip the other songs. But as you get as you listen to it over and over, those it loses its effect and you start to explore it a little bit more. And mm-hmm. I found that much to my surprise, the slower songs that I might have skipped the first time were now some of my favorite songs. What are your favorites? I you know all things being equal, I'd, I'd probably still say "Change Your Mind," Mr. Brightside, but it's it's hard. It's really hard to pick on this album because every single track is amazing. Because obviously, you know, some of the songs on this album are just massive, massive hits. Like "Mr. Brightside" is always considered to be one of the, you know, depending on who it is taking the poll, one of the best songs ever written. Right, you know, like he, I, I'm like you know, magazines like NME and stuff like that in the UK always put Mr. Brightside high on that list because it is just a fantastic song. I was listening to some of the tracks before we started recording today, and that song, you know, it's it's 11 years old now, but it still continues to thrill me every single time I hear it. It's it sounds like it was recorded fan- yesterday. Exactly, it, exactly. It's just so fantastically written, and the music is so good. Like everything about it is perfect. My one complaint with Mr. Brightside is that there's there's one verse and one chorus, and that's it. 
It's not a lyrically dense song. But I feel like the words that are there are all excellently written, right? Like, they paint a fantastic picture. It's kind of a cheap trick, though. What makes you say that? Well, the the second verse is arranged very slightly differently, and there's inflection on, on different parts of the vocals, and they, they play a couple of little tricks there to, to make it feel different. But it's just the same stuff over again. What makes that song so interesting to me is is how underwritten it is. It's very, very produced, but just barely written as a song. And that's, to me, I don't mean that negatively. I don't mean that dressively. That's an accomplishment. To be able to write something, to be able to create a piece of music that stands up so well, instrumentally and in terms of production, uh, with so little in the way of, of songwriting, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing. I want to take a quick break here to thank our first sponsor of this week's episode and then we can start talking about more of the fantastic songs on this album. Lynda.com is the online learning platform of over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com slash inquisitive. Lynda.com is for problem solvers, for curious people, people who want to make things happen in their life. Maybe you're looking to master Excel, you want to learn all about what the color means in design or typography. Maybe you're looking at developing your first app for the iPhone. No matter what it is, lynda.com is there to feed your curious mind. You can watch and learn videos created by absolute experts with high production values and people who just know exactly what they're talking about. So you're going to learn great stuff. You can stream the, all of these video courses, any of the thousands of videos on demand, allowing you to learn at your own schedule and at your own pace. You can even create and save playlists of the courses that you want to watch to customize your learning path or share with friends, colleagues, and team members. You can also watch and download courses to your Android and iOS device as well so you can learn on the go. Your Lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, go ahead and visit lynda.com inquisitive and sign up for your free 10-day trial. Thank you so much to Lynda.com for their support of this show and Relay FM. Most people in the UK uh, came to find out about The Killers because of the track All These Things That I've Done. That that became a big chart hit here, which was before the album came out. That was their first single here, I think. That song was also on the soundtrack for um, Southland Tales. I don't know what that is. It was uh, a movie. It was the follow-up from the guy who did Donnie Darko. Oh, okay, right. And in the movie, they play the entire song. I think it's, the, yeah, they do the entire song as like a fever dream music video where it's uh, Justin Timberlake lip syncing the whole thing. Hmm. It's kind of bizarre. It's, if you can find it on YouTube, it's worth checking out. The movie is worth checking out. It's not nearly as good as Donnie Darko, but uh, it, it's, worth, it's worth watching at least for the trivia of it. But yeah, the, the, there's like an entire section of the movie that is, I guess, a love letter to this song. Yeah, and that is going to sell some records. I don't think the movie did that well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I maybe mean, to at least the, the, the handfuls of people that saw it maybe wanted the record afterwards. It's got to be a weird thing to have to, to, I don't know, you put out your first album and you release a single and in a major studio movie, they get Justin Timberlake to make a music video in the middle of a movie where Justin Timberlake is lip syncing your song. Yeah, I don't know if people necessarily anticipate that that's going to happen to them. It's got to be. I I don't know what I would do. I don't. There's there's no. I don't know. There's no template for that. There's no. There's no precedent. Uh, again, also though, kind of a weird song. It's got some weird lyrical choices in there. Mm-hmm. I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier. That like that doesn't even mean anything. And it's kind no, of it a doesn't. dumb line. It's it kind doesn't. Of a dumb it, there was always. A, I remember a joke from a comedian in the UK. I think uh, Bill Bailey. It was that said it and. Uh, he was kind of mocking the joke and he was like, I've got ham, but I'm not a hamster. It's just another <laughs> line that he'd written. And it's kind of like, yeah, it may as well be that, right? Because it doesn't actually really mean anything, but it sounds good. And it's got that kind of like roaring part of it. Like, you know, the the, the idea of like a group of people singing at one time. Um, that's obviously bigger than the band. Like that, that seems to really pick up people you know it makes them listen and it's a very festivaly song 
whenever that happens in lyrics, I I always wonder what was going through their heads. How did somebody not catch that in the production process and go, you know what, maybe we could write a different line here. Or maybe that was the point. There's a line on um, a song by The Stills on their second album. I can't remember the name of the song. But the line is, um, I'm into looks, but I'm also into books. And you hear that, you just kind of, like you stop and you cringe a little bit. Like, what a, what a horrible thing to write. <laughs> like, not even that it's, it's necessarily, um, I don't know, superficial. It's just that it's just a dumb line. But it is a great song. A, a great song. And again, a song that is interestingly written, but the, the, all, of, all of the really great stuff that happens in that song is a result of the production. The, the tonal shifts. And when I say production, I don't, I don't mean that some producer came in and fixed the song. What I mean is the way it was recorded, the way it was engineered, the sounds that they chose, which are all kind of part of the songwriting process when you zoom out. But this is a song that if you sit down and you play it on an acoustic guitar, it feels really naked. I've tried. It's, it, it just doesn't hold up that way. But all of that production, the sounds that they chose, when they chose them, especially the, the gospel-style uh, choral effect at the end, it really builds up to something. It really means yeah, something. It and it's does. amazing how, how much of that layers and builds. And, and to be able to do that sonically without uh, stepping on yourself is an accomplishment. But there's, I love as it kind of comes to the crescendo of it, and there's the kind of just the one lone screaming person in the background. Yeah, yeah, the, that that high, the the high, whatever the high C or whatever it is. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, that bit. I love that bit. I really, really love that bit because it it kind of brings the whole point of it together. And the music video uh, also was quite popular here and lends to it because it's Brandon Flowers and the, the video was shot in London, and he's walking, and as he's walking, more and more people are joining him in like a parade kind of scenario. Mm -hmm. So as it comes to the end of the song, he's got like hundreds and hundreds of people behind him. So it actually fits with the way that the song builds. It's all done very well. And I think it was the combination of the music video and that part of the track is what made it successful here anyway. I don't think I've seen the videos for any of these. You should watch that video. It's a great video. Speaking of the, the lyrical question marks, somebody told me. Well, somebody told me. What is that song about? I have I've I've put a lot of time in my life in trying to think about what that song is about and I couldn't tell you. I even yesterday in preparation for the show I go to genius.com and I'm trying to look up the lyrics and there's like this weird so one guy who went through and annotated the whole thing and he was offering two I guess not competing but weaved together explanations for the lyrics. One was um about meeting a, a girl at a club that isn't giving you the attention you want, but it turns out you have similar taste in other people, so you'd probably get along because you both like people that look the same way, which doesn't really hold up, in my opinion. And the other was that uh, it, it was about being a, a band writing songs that people may or may not like. I, I don't know. I can't place either of those descriptions with the song i think the justification was the line the uh 17 tracks the guy was saying well this was the 17th song that they had written as a band and i'm like i don't know that that's true <laughs> that's an easy thing to guess <laughs> i mean that that's also i don't know you're a brand new band and you've just gotten your first uh major label deal and and you're making a record are you gonna are you gonna write a song complaining about being a rock star <laughs> And obviously, for anybody that doesn't know or hasn't heard it, the, the part that we're probably calling into question the most is the chorus, which is, well, somebody told me that you had a boyfriend who looked like a girlfriend that I had in February of last year. It's not confidential. I've got potential. It doesn't really mean anything. Um, I've, I've tried. I've tried so hard to get my head around this. And yeah. is it like just mapping out the lineage here? Okay, so you had a boyfriend that looked... Does that mean that we dated the same person and uh, they got a sex change? Like what... That that's the best I can map out is there's like some kind of some kind of uh, trans message happening in there somewhere. 
accidentally. I always wondered if it would they were like trying to insult the other person. Maybe. But like it, it, it so loosely, like it's, it, it really is a. I mean, this is this is a thing for them. Like, I mean, well, we've mentioned it a few times. It's true. Like, the the stories that their lyrics create are very loose, and and it's not a criticism because you don't actually have to tell like real kind of prose in your lyrics. Like, you can mm. just make something that sounds good and works well, which they do. But you know they don't. They don't really. Their their songs when you read them don't really tell stories. There are songwriters who write to the lyric, and then there are songwriters who write to the syllable. And if you look, um, look at any of Michael Jackson's lyrics, they are all terrible. They rarely mean anything. Songs like um, "Smooth Criminal," there's a there's kind of a story in there where she there somebody was attacked. Or something, but then in the video they're all dancing together. I don't know what's going on in that song. <laughs> and, and famously, like he would just make weird vocal affectations, the 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 woos and the shaman, like all of that stuff was was part of his uh, sonic aesthetic. It didn't mean anything, at least in the in the by the definitions of, of if you sit down and you read it as poetry, yeah. it doesn't mean anything. But as music, if you're writing to the syllable. In a song like somebody told me, the specificity of that I had in February of last year, that is awfully specific. But it's not, it's not about, it, it doesn't matter for the story that it was February. I think it was just that that is what rolled off the tongue well. Yeah, because he, he kind of turns February into four syllables, right? Like he really stretches one of them. Yeah, and I think I, I really think that that was just uh, that entire chorus is words that felt good together, and were easily recognizable as words. You want something that people can sing along with. You don't want to get, you don't want it to be so prosy that people have to look it up. Yeah, but like, you know, maybe I'm putting words into your mouth here. It's not a criticism of it. It's just a different style. It's just an interesting style. It's actually a different style lyrically that I. To, to the way that I enjoy music, I tend to like to to really kind of dive into the lyrics, and the lyrics are interesting here, but they don't really tell stories too much. It one hundred percent definitely not a criticism. In fact, I if anything, I admire it. It's something that I. It's not a muscle that I've ever really gotten to flex as a songwriter. So when I when I listen to this, I'm I'm spending years trying to wrap my head around what the song could possibly mean to the point where it's frustrating for me to listen to the song because my brain is still trying to resolve it. It's like a, it's like, like when you, when you, when you try to read something in a dream and the letters keep rearranging like that kind of a thing. But as, as a tool, as a, as a way of conveying a feeling without necessarily the words being the way to get there, but um, just a, a vehicle going going for the syllable these things sound good and you can get not necessarily a message but at least a feeling across i find that very interesting on um on our song i said so i i tried to write the lyrics in the same way i wrote the lyrics in about 10 minutes and it was all just it all came down to what syllables sound good i've got an entire verse in that song that was written i just wanted to use the word party and so there's i could i could make up a story about what that song is about but it's not really about anything it's just trying to like put together some words that sounded cool together and evoked a feeling. If you sit down and read it, now it doesn't make much sense. But they don't always have to. In most of the this album, most of Hot Fuss kind of has that feel to it. Midnight Show, what's that song about? Andy, You're a Star, what is that song about? <laughs> on on the field i remember you were incredible hey shut up <laughs> hey shut up yeah in a car uh, in a car with a girl but promise me she's not your world is is he in love with the sports star at his high school but they can't be together but he's just i don't i always took that one as uh as the the whoever is singing so whoever brandon is portraying is in love with andy 
that's how I would read it. But I guess there's another take where it could just be, it's not like, like a romantic love, but more of a, look, you have so much potential. Don't squander it. Don't squander your long-term potential focusing on a girl now. But there's no clear message, so it's hard to, it's hard to like emotionally identify with the song beyond just the way the music makes me feel and the way the production makes me feel. All right, let me just take our second break. This week's episode is also brought to you by Backblaze. Backblaze is a personal and business backup for Macs and PCs. With Backblaze, you'll get unlimited online backup for all of your files, your documents, your music, your photos, your videos, and all of your user data as well. If you're not backing up your computer and you're hearing this message, you should be getting yourself an account at Backblaze, and you can get a no-risk two-week free trial at backblaze.com slash inquisitive. Over Backblaze's history, they have backed up over 150 petabytes of data and restored over 10 billion files for their users. These are numbers that I can't even comprehend, but what it shows me is that so many people use Backblaze and trust them, they are obviously doing something right. And I am a happy Backblaze customer, you completely see why. You have online access to all of your files from anywhere that you have an internet connection, and they even have an iPhone and Android apps as well, so you can access your smaller files on the go so you could just restore one file at a time right and just say oh i need that presentation and i just restore that to my computer or from their apps you can even grab those files and open them on your ios device for example but backblaze can also put all of your data onto a usb hard drive and send it out to you so you can get everything back in one go they're really cool like that Backblaze have a native application for Mac and PC with backing up of external drives included. It's not just the drive that's in your machine, any externals will get backed up as well. On those external drives, you may have something like a time machine, right? So you're backing up there, but you still should be using some kind of off-site backup as well. And this is exactly what Backblaze can give you. There's no throttling and upload threading means that you can back up super quickly. No add-ons, gimmicks, or additional charges. It's just $5 a month per computer for unlimited, unthrottled online backup. And listeners of this show can get a two-week free trial by going to backblaze.com slash inquisitive. Thank you so much to Backblaze for their support of this show. Now, Dave, let's talk about one of my very favorite songs, Glamorous Indie Rock and Roll. I think to me is the most meaningful song on the album. It meant a lot to me because at the time that I found this album was a time where I really started to find my taste in music. Um, this this was a style of music you know the idea of indie rock and roll followed me throughout the next years of my life and is still a predominant style of music that i like and killers was one of the first bands that really kind of summed that up for me and so this song kind of became an anthem that followed me for the next few years When I first heard the song, for me, it was a B-side on a single. It wasn't part of the album. The first time I heard the song, the the piano chords coming into it, it it grabbed me in in a way that felt very much like the rest of this album. And sometimes you hear the B-sides and you can hear why they're the B-sides. You listen to the stuff that didn't make the album, you can totally get why that didn't make the cut. For me, a lot of the B-sides from this album just felt every bit as good as the album itself. Uh, but the the song, as I listened to it, it described the feeling that I had listening to the album. It's as if they went back and wrote a song for me to help me understand what it was I liked about the rest of their music. And it helped me tap into what it was I liked about this band, what I liked about all of the music that I had started listening to, bands like Franz Ferdinand, bands like the, the Stills, like what, what it was about these bands that, that kind of got me. And, and it really comes down to, I can, I can see this from time, but it really comes down to like the way the music was produced. The kind of, of sonic aesthetic that they were going for. Uh, but it's also sort of um, a philosophical thing. And as a band, I think they do some weird stuff. And like I said, not not necessarily politically, but but philosophically, I think they do some weird things. I think that, that Brandon Flowers is kind of a jerk. 
when when uh, when they were working on their second album, and he would uh, Samstown, and he would, he was going around talking about how they were they were working on one of the what will be widely regarded as one of the best albums of the last twenty years. That's a big that. statement. That's a that's a that's a great big arrogant thing to say, and that that statement and statements like that have kind of, for me at least, tainted my view of the band as people. So it's not like it's not like something where I can look at Foo Fighters and I can say. My possibly my favorite band in the world, and not only that, but I would just love to hang out with Dave Grohl. I would love to hang out with any of the guys in that band. Yep. Uh, with with the the Killers, I love this album so much, and it kind of ends there. If they put out another record, I'll listen to it. I might go see them live, if the opportunity presents itself, and it's not terribly inconvenient for me. But it's not that I love the band as much as I just really love this album and it's very well summed up by glamorous indie rock and roll the song also acts as i don't know kind of a mission statement for me that's tell me of, more that's kind of what i want to do being a musician if if my band has uh if my band has a core value it's this it's wanting to be wanting to make something that has this kind of sense of of spontaneity this sense of fun this sense of maybe uh maybe irreverence um and on top of the musicality not being afraid to own even using the word glamorous in the title and in the lyric again i come from a place where you're not supposed to be like i come from the grunge age right and you're supposed to be you know dirty greasy hair and uh, baggy flannel clothing that that was where I came from musically. When I was 13 years old listening to Nirvana, that was like what everybody was doing. So to to get to a point where you would own the idea of glamour, like it's okay to want things to be pretty and sparkly and uh, you know, high contrast and and amazing. That's okay. And we're gonna we're gonna do everything we can to to make the drums sound perfect and the keyboard sound perfect and the guitar sound perfect and vocals sound perfect. It it's kind of a shift. Everything that I had written or recorded up until a few years ago was all kind of along those same lines, like lots of heavy distorted guitars. And now we're doing way more with keyboards. We're doing way more with fine tuning specific sounds, trying to get things to a point where it sounds like it costs some money to make. Not not for the the the, the money of it, but more like production value. You want it to be good. You want the ideas to come through with the best possible representation and it's not about make it sound dirty make it sound raw make it sound real it's it's about make it sound make it the best you can possibly make it and the the glamour of it that word glamorous uh stuck with me but if you listen to the lyrics they they kind of again don't make a whole lot of sense it's supposed to be glamorous but then they're in they're in a thrift store So it's a, it's a, it's a weird, like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to make sense. It just has to be great. I kind of love that. Do you enjoy other music in this style? Are there any other bands that are kind of like the killers that you can think of that you enjoy? Right off the top of my head, Walk the Moon. I think is like the, the closest thing to what I loved about the killers. I listen to anything from Walk the Moon and it reminds me of the best of the killers. I don't think I'm familiar with them. I think I've heard the name. They played. They played at um, the the uh, WWDC Bash this year. That's how I know them. Yeah, and I was very excited to see them there. So I I snuck in, and they played. Uh, they played all these things I've done. They covered it. <laughs> it's like you know where you've come from. <laughs> And they didn't do because as a as a band, when you cover a song, you're supposed to kind of make it your own. You're supposed to like do something to it, or like yeah, the the cliche is punk bands doing old love songs or old old standbys, but like punked up, and it's it's cliche for a reason. Uh, it, it could it could also be a lot of fun, but you're supposed to do something like that. They did not. They played it totally straight, and it was as if I was watching The Killers in 2001. It was amazing getting to getting to see this band that I really like walk the moon on a stage doing a song that I really like 
and and doing it almost as if they weren't just a cover band but a tribute band like they were trying to sound exactly like the original recording it was kind of impressive but they just they also nailed it and uh, it was it was a lot of fun but that's a band that um yeah i feel like they come from the same place musically uh I, maybe walk the moon is a little bit more on the let's make it bouncy and fun I think those guys are uh, possibly on so many drugs that they have no idea that they shouldn't be hugging everyone they see. But why not anyway? It's tough to say. Uh, But I also, there's nothing cynical about them. And maybe the difference there is with the killers, I can see there's like an edge to it. With Walk the Moon, I don't feel like there's even a drop of cynicism. Which is, you know, kind of refreshing in its own way. But I think musically very, very similar. If you like one, you should definitely check out the other. A song like Shut Up and Dance... You listen to Shut Up and Dance, and um, somebody told me back to back, and they they fit together pretty well. Do you still listen to Hot Fuss frequently today? I would say maybe once a month. That's still pretty frequent. Yeah, it's a it's a go to for me. There's a the the. What are your top five Desert Island if you could only listen to these albums? This would definitely be on there. Again, not because the band is my favorite band and not because any one of these songs is my favorite song, but there's just nothing about this album that is bad. Yeah, the fact that it has stood the test of time shows that it could be a Desert Island disc, right? Because it's you're always going to be happy to hear it in theory. Yeah, I've never heard a song on this album and just thought, meh. Like that, that sounded good 10 years ago, but not now. Even the, the, like the lesser known tracks on top, which is kind of a, kind of a downer song. I like on top a lot. Agreed. But it's, it's not, it's not the hit. Um, Midnight Show could have been, I think maybe a hit if that had been released as a single. It's kind of, it's, it's, uh, it's at least it's faster paced, but it's also kind of a, a tonally dark song. Everything will be all right. Kind of tonally dark. A little bit slower. I don't like that one. Really? Why? I just don't like it. It, it just something about it like rubs me up the wrong way. I, 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 I just don't like that song. I, I've never really liked it. Which was why, um, glamorous indie rock and roll. Uh, I moved to track seven on my iPod. <laughs> so whenever I see it as the last track, it always confuses me. Because glamorous indie rock and roll and the number seven are kind of meshed together in my brain because I, you know, I carried that music library around for so many years. It was like, that was just where it was. Um, and it always confused me if I saw an American version or whatever, and it wasn't on there. And I was like, did I bring this in? Cause I did that with a couple of different albums. I would bring in a B side or whatever and put it in the album listing on my iPod. I did that with an Arctic monkeys album and I brought in a, a B side that I loved and just put it in the album where I thought that it fit. <laughs> That's so interesting that you would do that. I've never heard of somebody doing that before. Yeah, I, I've always been so play. I was always so playlist heavy, but playlists were always albums. So I always turned all of my albums into playlists. Um, this was because iTunes. There was a time where iTunes wasn't very good at dis- like at the syncing stuff, and it would it was <laughs> <laughs> believe it or Past not. Tense. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> exactly, and one of the only ways to like thoroughly control your music library on your iPod was to do playlist syncing. So I just turned everything into playlists. So then sometimes I would maybe put an extra track or two into the playlist, which was actually the album. It's not because I'm a purist or anything, but I've just I've never thought to do something like that. I never. It would is weird. Like, like I know it. I know it's a peculiar thing to do. It's like I'm gonna make my own version of this album, and I, I didn't do it a do. lot. But but there were just there were certain um, there were just certain albums that it made that I wanted to do that with, and this was one of them, right? Because glamorous indie rock and roll was like my favorite track, but it was way it was after a track I didn't like. Hmm. Right? So I moved it up. <laughs> when did you get this album? When it first came out? Yeah, when it first came out. So 2001? Yeah. So I was much younger then. I wouldn't do this now. Uh, but then it it, uh, it was something that I did. I, I remember like um, I was oh, no, in... Sorry, sorry. I was... My, my, my timeline is off. It came out in 2004. I don't know why I thought 2001. 2004. Oh, yeah. yeah, 2004. 
which would have been when I would have found it. I mean, because I remember like walking home from school with my iPod in, um, believing that I knew the drum line, you know, and was like air drumming <laughs> from school. Like this album, it just really stayed with me for so long. And, and I had a, a group of friends that were, um, it was like there were like four of us and we all believed that we would start a band one day even though only one one person knew how to play any instruments and this was one that we used to just listen to a bunch right we would just the four of us would be together and we'd be like if we were going to be a band (laughs) this is the music we'd make hmm do you play anything I play nothing. I, I I like to sing. I enjoy to sing. Uh, I actually don't know if I am a good singer, right? But <laughs> I, you, wait, you I don't enjoy. Know? Well, I mean, I I'm not great. Uh, it, because the... it it seems like you, there's a, there are ways to find out. So if I sing, people don't tell me to shut up, which is probably step one. Right, and I've had people tell me that they like me singing specific types of songs. Right, I guess songs that fit my vocal range quite mm-hmm. well. But like, I'm I'm nowhere near good enough to actually be in a band and sing, in my estimation. Like, you have a very very lovely singing voice. I will tell you that. Oh, um, thank you. And so, like, it it really works for you. You should keep doing that. By the way, you know what though? Good at that. You know what though? At the time when when this album came out, I was in a in, a, in another band, and um. I think right right before or right after this would have come out, uh, we played our very first show, and I was told by somebody in the audience that I should never sing again. Hmm. <laughs> I was not I was not a good singer. I had very little in the way of vocal control. It was just something that I wanted to do, and it was more a control thing than anything else, or an attention thing because I wanted to be like in the front of the band, and I was terrible. Like genuinely, there's there's. That's not me trying to be modest or anything. I was really bad, uh, but I wanted to do it badly enough that I have spent the uh, the ten years since then working really, really hard to get better at it. So if you're already starting in a place where people don't tell you to stop when you sing, you could probably do this. You could probably sing. I mean, I I love to sing, so I just do it. But I don't, I don't, I don't want to be in a band anymore. Um. <laughs> I, there was a time in my life that that was all I wanted, and and I I still do love music, but just now, uh, just knowing how I feel, giving talks and speaking in public, I I don't think that I would be very confident singing in public. You know, it's in, it's interesting tying it all together a little bit. You didn't end up that far off. No, I still do some sort of performance with my voice, right? <laughs> Right, right. It's about performing, it's about using your voice, and it's about the the spirit of glamorous indie rock and roll. It's not music, but you're doing... It's not not that many uh, points of deviation away from that same idea. Yeah, it is... uh... It is kind of indie and in its own way rock and roll, I think, you know? <laughs> um, when I think when I think of glamorous indie rock and roll or indie rock in general, it's it's the, the attitude of, well, f- screw it. I'm just going to do it myself. And now we live in an age where we have the tools where you can, you can just go do that. You can go start your own podcast company and you know, buy progressively better equipment and make stuff that sounds really, really good. And the line between quote-unquote professional... And what indies are doing is really, really blurry now. Yeah. Not only for podcasting, but for, for, for music as well. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny how those two things go together. I mean, it's all audio, so it's not a huge surprise. But it's, it's funny how it works out well for both. Have you ever seen any of this album played live? Uh, no, I've never seen the band live. I mean, oh, I've, really? I, I saw when Walk the Moon did a cover of all these things that I've done. <laughs> but that's, that's the closest I've come to seeing them live. I don't think I'd want to now. I mean, I, I would. Like I said, uh, I'd, I'd go see them if they came to New York and it wasn't out of my way and tickets weren't um, ridiculously Taylor Swift expensive. But And I would, I would enjoy it, but I don't think they're going to sound like the band that, that I loved. The band that, that plays on this album stopped existing after this album came out. I don't even mean that begrudgingly or I'm not, I'm not lamenting it. I don't, I don't hold it against them. They went and they did 
exactly wanted the, what they wanted to do, and they found tremendous success through their studio albums and Brandon Flowers' solo stuff. There's no doubt in my mind that he's doing exactly what he wants to do with his band. And good for him. It's just the band that I hear when I listen to Hot Fuss, it, 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 it hits me on a level that they just haven't since. And rather than begrudging them their success or wishing they had done things differently, I'm just really glad that I got this album. So I have seen The Killers live one time. How was it? When? What era? I saw them uh, on the festival leg of their tour after Samstown. Mm. So when they were playing the festivals after the second album. Um, and I was at a, a festival here called Reading Festival. Um, and they were headlining the second day. So I got to see all of the songs that I wanted to see pretty much. Mm. Right, They played nice. the majority of Hot Fuss. They played the good songs from Samstown and a couple of others that nobody really <laughs> wanted to hear. Um, but, and, you know, in all honesty, I will never forget um, the like the group of five friends that I was with and us dancing around like crazy people to Mr. Brightside. Uh, it was one of the like the, one of the best live music experiences that I've ever had. And I remember specifically they played Spaceman which was from their third album. And I remember hearing it and I really liked it. I was like, this is kind of like the first album a little bit. They're finally going to return to form the way that I want them to be. But Day and Age didn't really help too much either. I mean, their music is still good. And, and I think I I often think about The Killers and and I, I there's been other bands that I've come across in my life. And I always, whenever I experience this, I think back to The Killers where it's like, if Hot Fuss wasn't so good, mm-hmm. all of the other music would be fine. Yeah, it's almost... Um, I was going to make a, a comparison to the Star Wars prequels, but I think really like Return of the Jedi is the, is the, is the better comparison. Where like, you know, if, if it were its own movie, it would probably, you know, that, that's, that's a fun space adventure movie. But when you, when you stack it up to something like Empire Strikes Back, it's like, well, there, it could have been so much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really, it's it's hard to even look at it through that lens for me because it's just it's it's a different band. Yeah, it may as well be a bit different band. It, it really, in every sense of the word. I'm I'm fine with imagining the Killers as they had one album and then they disappeared into obscurity, and then they were replaced secretly by um, an evil alien cabal uh, with this other band that was a little bit more um, dusty, smoky Stevie Nicks, I guess. Maybe that's the 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 trick in their name, right? That every iteration of the band is killed <laughs> off by the next one. Like Brandon Flowers is like the doctor. <laughs> so here's a question that I've not asked anybody else before in this series. Have you ever played any of this album at a gig or anything like that? We regularly cover um, Change Your Mind. Is that with airplane mode in its current iteration? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we we cover that pretty regularly. I I think at every show we've ever played, we've covered a killer song. It's either that or Mr. Brightside, because in in our song um, epilogue, the chord structure is kind of borrowed from an acoustic version of Mr. Brightside. It's like the same chords, but uh, and it, this is a weird. It's a weird lineage to get here. It's a weird timeline to get here. But I was looking up how to play like the tablature for how to play Mr. Brightside. And I stumbled on a tab for an acoustic version and I liked, I, the, the chords were pretty. I don't know if they're correct, but they were pretty and it does work. You can sing along and the song sounds fine. Uh, but I really liked those chords. So I ended up just using those same chords, but playing it in uh, three, four. So it, I, I played it as a waltz and that became epilogue. Um, so it's not, it, it's, it's not uncommon for us to be playing epilogue, which is very, it's waltzy. It's sort of a down tempo, slower song. Um, a little bit more on the emotional side. And then we get to the, we come out of this bridge part of it and coming out, I'll switch over, I'll switch the time signature to four, four and I'll start on Mr. Brightside and I'll take it like the band comes in and just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then we, after that, that first chorus, the I'm Mr. Brightside, I switch back to three, four, which it's a weird trick to do with the timing signature. And I wish I could say that it was because I'm a good musician. It's really just because I've practiced it. Uh, <laughs> We're switching back to the other time signature, and then we all fall right back into the end of our song epilogue. So we will, we'll we'll drop 
at least half of Mr. Brightside in there. The other thing that we'll do is I'm giving away, I might be giving away too much here, but the other thing that we like to do is um, uh, change your mind has the same chords as Taylor Swift's blank space. So we kind of do a mashup of those two live We'll we'll start with Taylor Swift and then like it turns into change your mind and then lands back on Taylor Swift. That's fantastic. It's the kind of thing we could never record it because it just wouldn't work as as a record. But a, a, in a live setting, you it's can, fun you, to hear. Right, you can play with the audience a little yeah. bit. It's fun to to play with their expectations at a live show. It wouldn't work because you would have to put it on the track listing if you released it live. You'd have to say that it's these two songs, and that ruins the surprise. That ruins the fun of it. I guess if anybody's listening to this and they go see us live, then that surprise is now ruined. So sorry about that. It's still, but now it's the one to look out for. This is the one people will request now. We can just never do that again. The first time I heard anything from the Killers, I didn't realize it was the Killers. I thought it was Franz Ferdinand, because I think I think it was somebody told me like it. I heard it in line for something, and it it sounded so much like um, "Take Me Out" that I thought it was I thought it was the same band. I kind of thought it was the same song. Hmm. That sort of bouncy rock pop dance rock thing. Uh, and when I found out that, that that song that I really liked, turns out there's another band that has a similar song and they just make a bunch of songs that all sound like that. And it sort of unlocked this thing in my head of, oh God, you can just do that. You can make rock music that people dance to. And I don't mean dance like bounce up and down or run into each other in a pit. It's just like people actually like at a club. Like you go to a dance club and play this song and it plays. Blew my mind. And at the time, like that was not me at all. Like that was not, I did not look like the kind of guy who would do that. I did not behave that way. Uh, but it, it th- this album, I don't know, it, it sort of unlocked this feeling of freedom, like these things that, that seemed so distant or that I, I shouldn't be into. That idea that you identify with one kind of music and that, that, holds the keys to your identity in some way. I think it's kind of an older idea, and I think it's maybe a generational thing. People growing up now, uh, you you would listen to Taylor Swift and uh, Jay-Z, and that's totally whatever. And you could then go listen to Foo Fighters, and then you could go listen to Walk the Moon. Like, all of these things are okay. And I, I, I 2004, was it 2003? What was the year when the iTunes Music Store went live? 2003. 2003. And then we had, of course, Napster back in 99. But we, by, by 2003, 2004, we'd hit a point where it used to be in the 80s and the 90s, the, when you went to the record store to buy an album, you bought a CD. And the money you spent was on an entire CD, and your music collection would be representative of what you were willing to spend money on. And we have gradually shifted since 99 uh, maybe not even that gradually, but it, it shifted to where now, today, the music you listen to is whatever the hell you feel like because you pay your money for Spotify or Pandora or Apple Music and if something sounds cool, you just go listen to it. You don't, you don't get as wrapped up identity-wise in what you listen to as, as you did in, in decades past. And for me, this album was, the, was a turning point personally and, and musically where you it, it became okay to say you know i just i just like stuff i like a bunch of stuff it doesn't have to be the same stuff i don't i don't need to concern myself with what other people think about what i might like i'm not trying to impress other people with my taste or how how rock and roll i am how indie rock i am how punk i am if if they're using keyboards and they're making dance music and i love it then i love it and that's okay it's funny how an album that lyrically means so little. <laughs> and again, I don't, I don't mean that as an insult. It sounds like an insult. Um, but an album that, that doesn't have a lot of density of, of prose could still carry so much weight for me personally on an emotional level. That it could still mean so much, have so much significance. And my question to you, when, when you think, when you think of, of this album or your favorite albums, do you think in terms of uh, what the songs mean or what the songs mean to you? What they mean to me, for sure. Um, it's because, like, you know, as we've kind of established, there are many songs in this album that don't really mean anything. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is one of my favorite albums because it takes me back to a very specific time in my life where I really discovered my music. Um, And this album was like the forefront of me making the discovery that everybody has in their life where they work out what is the music that they like, not the music that they are given or the music that they believe they should like, right? Yeah, I think a lot of people earlier in life listen to whatever their friends listen to or whatever is popular. And if if you're lucky, I don't think everybody does this, but if you're lucky, you kind of venture off that path a little bit. You discover things that you, you never would have loved as a result of somebody giving it to you because nobody ever gave it to you. You found. And finding something, uh, it, it, it means, uh, to me, it means more. It, it, it's more personally significant. This album was recommended by my sister. Uh, going off and finding all of the B-sides and piecing together what the sound of this band was and like what they meant to me in the, the, the context of, I don't know, historical music significance it was its own kind of journey and led me to these other things that I never thought I like and led me to a place where um, the music I make now is very different from where it was before. Kind of a, a fork in the road and I could have gone one way, but this album steered me the other. Are you proud of this album choice? Are you proud to be here talking about it now, like putting your name to it, that like this is the choice that you've made to talk to the world to tell them that you love something? Oh, yeah, yeah. When when you had said, when we had talked about this, the idea is uh, your your favorite album. And, and favorite, it's, 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 it's a tough word. It's, it's, it's tough to pick a favorite anything. Um, my criteria for whatever I would talk about, and I, had, I think I had three in mind that I would want to talk about. The criteria had to be, I wish I'd made that album. <laughs> I wish I had been in this band. I wish I had written these songs. I wish I had these ideas. And that's maybe the highest compliment I can pay to a piece of music. 